0: This is the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson.
1: Yo, it's Smallmouth Crush. Welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. We're getting close to the end of the season, but we are going to do a season two. I got talked into it. I think you guys are going to really enjoy the whole concept for season two. Although season one, talking with some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in the country, learned so much. And I really appreciate everybody's support up to this point. A lot of good feedback. The guests have been great. The information has been intense and crazy. I have spent a lot of money off of a lot of these guys' suggestions over the last year uh, but we certainly do appreciate all the information they're they're giving up we got a great guest lined up for tonight but before we go there let's talk about of course the real shot you know you can head on over there get all your fishing equipment even hunting equipment right now it's hunting season not fishing season although I'm still gonna try to get out there as long as I can but the real shot has everything a bass angler could want a lot of top name brands. And a huge selection of baits. And if you go to the dot and use my code SmallmouthCrush15, 15% off your first order. So a really cool deal. Head on over to the com and let them know SmallmouthCrush sent you. Our next guest has really um caught my attention lately because he's always finishing either right where I'm at in, in uh in weight or or right below. Sometimes I beat him, sometimes he beats me. It's crazy. And I just don't understand it, man. Brett, welcome to the show. Seriously, we're always right there, dude.
2: I know it's um the it's last like, like three years. Every tournament, <laughs> you go back and look, and it's either myself or Travis within one ounce of each other, or even tied
1: uh, every time. And I always
2: joke about it at the ramp with him after the weigh-in. You know, I think this year you beat me. I had twenty-three, like forty-nine, and you had twenty-three fifty in the APA on the St. Lawrence and then I look back and like last year or two years ago we fished a BFL together we actually tied oh wow and then um I mean there's a bunch of them last year on Oneida uh, sure I think I had third you had fourth and then in the bass open uh this past year on the St. Lawrence River in Lake Ontario I came into the weigh-in and I had like a good bag on Uh, day one, I was in like 11th, I believe day two, I had 21, three was what I weighed. But I looked at, when I got to the scales, I looked at my phone to see who was, you know, what place I was probably going to be in. Maybe I'll make the top 10, but I Mm -hmm. look and I see Travis has like, I don't remember the weight. It was like 44 and a half pounds maybe. And I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, okay, I need 20 pounds, like 15 ounces to beat him sure and i'm like okay please tell me i'm like i've got like almost 21 maybe so i went right on three and i beat him and it was just like a moral victory again but we cashed the same check so it didn't really matter it's, I don't
1: think it's so. crazy hopefully i liked it i mean we're always up there at the top so let's just keep it going man i'm, I'm yeah. cool with that i like it but no i want to thank you for coming on brit i i want to before we even get started let's talk a little bit about your background and kind of the bodies of water you like to fish and and if you could just kind of Take me on that journey, kind of how you got involved with, with, with fishing and, and really your love for smallmouth fishing.
2: I live uh, in Plattsburgh, New York, which is on Lake Champlain. That's where all like the big tournaments come out of. I've lived here my whole life. I actually live very close to Cumberland Head, Point of Rush and Cumberland Head. So growing up, I was in Treadwell Bay near the ferry, near the New York ferry. Everybody knows where that is if you've been on Lake Champlain. So I started fishing when I was about nine years old, you know, just fishing the bank started out. I had a little aluminum boat, like a 12 footer. My dad would let, would take us out on it. I'd be fishing the Saranac river, which is where the tournaments kind of take, take off from now, Mm -hmm. uh, the Saranac river right in between Wilcox dock and the naked turtle, (laughs) Fishing that growing up, you know, until I was probably 13, 14 years old. And that's where I learned, like, how to fish, how to catch bit bass. And after that, you know, I have discovered, like, my passion real early. You know, by, like, 9 or 10 years hmm. old, I was, like, full-blown uh, fishing every chance I got. Over 100 days a year, for sure. And it's still like that. But uh, at such a young age, it's it's just crazy. no social media. all right Right. Kids nowadays, it seems like social media is such a big deal, uh, such a big part of it. But for me, you know, I'm just like fishing. We take pictures with like a Kodak camera, the little paper right. ones, and that was, I, like, I pictures and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got to step back because I have a real um, influential part of my fishing is my cousin Ryan Latinville, okay. about the same age as me. I'm 28; he's 29. So we both got into fishing at the same time, and. That was what instilled that, like that drive to keep fishing. It wasn't like I was just by myself. We were together all the time fishing. So we both pushed each other. We've both made it up the, through the ranks about the same way. And, you know, 14, 15 years old, they started a little club. Ryan and I fished club tournaments together, mm-hmm. won a few angler of the years and that, which was like crazy to think back that we were like 15 years old. Fishing against a bunch of guys, you know, that have been fishing clubs for their whole life.
1: So what really sparked your interest, you know, when it comes to tournament fishing?
2: What got me into tournament fishing to begin with, or fishing in general, was there was a 2002 FLW Tour series event on Lake Champlain. Mm -hmm. It was held, and the weigh-in was at the Walmart parking lot. So we had happened to just go down there and watch the weigh-in, and I didn't even know what bass fishing really was at the time. Mm -hmm. So, I see these guys come in, they're weighing in their fish in front of a big crowd. They've got the tent set up. That's what pushed me to even start fishing. So, I always had like the tournament scene under my, you know, in the back of my mind, kind of. Yeah. You know, I always, it wasn't like I started fishing and I was fishing for a little while and then I heard about tournaments. I knew about them from the beginning. I started watching the Bass Masters. I remember the 2005 Classic. That was probably one of the first classics <laughs> or events I ever watched. And then I remember the 2006 classic coming off the ferry, trying to get home to get on the computer. Right. To, uh, <clears throat> to see who won the tournament. Cause we didn't have like cell phones or anything like that, where you could just write like, and watch it live. Sure. Uh, I think actually back then they were doing the tournament where you could have uh, watched the weigh-ins live or they would do like the full day at like 8 PM.
1: Yeah. Know, it wasn't even, there was then. no live,
2: nothing. Right. Nope. So that's what that's, you know, and then, we started um, tournament fishing when we were fifteen, or when I was fifteen years old. So I'd been in it for about five, six years, just getting the fundamentals down of fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we joined a little club in uh, Plattsburgh. We start fishing club tournaments from age like fifteen to eighteen. I started fishing a little bit of TBF when I turned sixteen. Did that for a little bit, and we had success right off the bat. Like we had won the the club aoi we won it two years out of the three years we did the clubs uh which was pretty good i guess for you know being 15 years old my cousin ryan and i we start fishing a little bit of the bigger tournaments when we got to like that 16 17 years old uh bigger club tournament events Mm -hmm. i should say you know a lot of the opens like northern bass supply which are now like uh the reynolds events stuff like that okay yeah um a lot of team events out of you know, the Vermont side of the lake, we found some good success in that once again. And a lot of people were starting to like recognize who we were They're like, man, who are these young kids from New York that keep coming over? Hey, off,
1: but Champlain's known for large mouth and small mouth. Were you specifically, did, did you have, were you targeting large mouth as well or was in the mixed bag or did you concentrate on smallmouth at that early age?
2: No, it was fishing both. Okay. We got, good, we got really good at fishing both small mouth and largemouth. You could fish the Shazy River and catch largemouth. You could fish Saranac River, catch smallmouth. Of course, Cumberland Head's a better smallmouth fishery than largemouth. You know, you launch, say, at up in Shazy, you can fish Kings Bay. Um, there's some good areas on the lake for both, obviously. Right. So, yeah, we like growing up, we had fished both. But I was catching, for sure, more smallmouth, uh, both Ryan and myself were, uh, yeah. growing up. So I, we were better at smallmouth fishing, I would say. Sure, or large mouth. but you know, you watch TV and that's like the deal, right? You watch these guys frogging and flipping, and you're like, Man, I can't right. really do that. So, once mm-hmm. we started being able to get out in the lake more rather than being stuck on the bank, we definitely pretty much 50 50.
1: So, when did you start actually getting into some of the bigger, uh, higher profile events on Champlain?
2: Like, 2016 was uh, I had finally, I was. 22 or 23 years old i finally had like a pretty good job lined up i was out of college and it was my first year working at the company that i i actually currently still work for them I mean, it's hmm. been almost seven years but i saved up enough money and i bought a brand new phoenix uh, hmm. so this is 2016 and at the time also my cousin had just bought a brand new phoenix so we were both getting into champlain bass series as a boater um we were fishing trying to get into some of like the Toyota series now and the, uh, Bass opens once again, good success, ABAs and 2016. I had my first like big experience tournament. I came in top 10 in the Bass open 2017, 2018 great years. Again, uh, had some top finishes in the Costas mm-hmm. and, um, you know, moving up through 2019, a few good finishes again, 2020, uh, started branching out actually a little bit from Champlain fishing, the whole ABA trail. And I actually won Angler of the Year in that. Nice. Sure. I don't, I didn't have a win that year, but then 2021 this year, I had two wins in that trail. I won Angler of the Year again, uh, which was kind of big deal for, for me because I never really branched out and fished a bunch of other lakes. I'd only Mm. been on Champlain. So it was my first time seeing Oneida, first time Cayuga, uh, the Saint Lawrence River in Ontario. Those last two two years, and then this year I won the ABA on, on Oneida, which was awesome. And then I had a top finish in the uh, the Bassmaster Open. So quite a few good events, a lot of success, and that's what kind of has brought me on the podcast today. So yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt you got a great track record. I'm I'm curious. You know, on Champlain, there's so many different opportunities to chase smallmouth, a lot of different techniques, a lot of different times of the year. As far as your favorite way to catch smallmouth, if you could pick one technique, one way, what would that be?
2: If I'm going to pick one technique for tournament fishing to catch smallmouth, it's going to be like live scope with a drop shot. But Mm. my absolute favorite deal is like just after the spawn because and i'm a pretty good spawn fisherman i've had a lot of good success in the spawn but i honestly am just like not a huge fan of it if i sure. didn't have tournaments in the during the spawn i wouldn't even i'd be like actually kind of probably happy about mm-hmm. it which has happened multiple times here in the last mm-hmm. few years but it's the bite right after the spawn because you're you know you've been using the flog or whatever you're bed fishing it's kind of like sure. the best grade like the funnest deal in the world But you're doing it for like a full month straight. And then come like June 20th, I would say, 25th, you can really get on that good topwater bite. Okay. I would say topwater is like...
1: Topwater, yeah. The whole
2: post-spawn deal between end of June and end of July is... That's my favorite.
1: Early summer, the fish are done spawning. How are you locating these fish? I mean, do you see... Fish busting? Do you see them on on top to throw a top water? What makes you realize, hey, now's the time to pick up a top water and and go to town?
2: Uh, when you spend enough time, I guess, on the water that time of the year, you know, you can kind of tell when the transition happens, when the, when the spawn's starting to end, and usually right at right around then, that's when I'm gonna that's when I'm gonna start picking up those post spawn baits, and you know, maybe during practice, I might start messing around with them. And, but there's usually like always a day or two when it's just like dead slick calm and you might mm-hmm. have the water temperature rise from like that high sixties into the low seventies or even higher. And you can kind of just tell the bottom of the lake is like changing. There's a lot of uh, grass growth. That's like the time when I'm just like, all right, it's time to roll. And it's not like, oh, I caught him in practice doing it. It's like, I'm in the middle of the tournament and it just slips off. And you're just mm. like, yeah, like
1: that's it. Yeah,
2: you roll up to your juice and start throwing. Like, you know, I'm my favorite bait. I've actually got it sitting right here, sure, uh, an evergreen shower blow. Ah. So, and so, this is the 125 size. Okay, this is my favorite top water bait to throw, especially on Champlain. For some reason, this bait, I think it's probably the profile of it. Cause it's the same size as the alewives hmm. that they're chasing that time of the year. <clears throat> so an evergreen shower blow is probably my favorite.
1: Now that color you have tied on, is that your favorite color or is, uh, you got some other tricks when it comes to that.
2: So I'll throw two colors. I've got, okay. uh, this is just a Chrome Chrome. Yep. <clears throat> and then I'll throw like straight, I guess it's bone. Hmm. This bait <clears throat> It's got a huge, like a, a real wide walk. Um, I typically, well, not typically. I always throw it on 40-pound braid. It's okay. Great, I use Power Pro. Um, got a 7.3. So this rod is the rod I used to always throw it on. It's the uh, Texas rig, Carolina rig, worm and jig rod made by Kistler. It's a KLX. Sure. It's a heavy, moderate, fast seven foot three. So mm. it's got like a real good tip on it. And it's long, so I can bomb that bait. It's just like the, the the rod that I used to exclusively use just on top water was this rod. I've got a big reel. This is a Quantum Smoke HD. The reel doesn't really matter as much. The rod, you know, you'll hear guys say, oh, "I'll use like a six nine or whatever." But with a big top water bait like that, I like to be able to, to be able to throw it, and I like a bit a rod that can handle like a one ounce bait, like the shower blow, right. But this year I started using I have a buddy that built this rod actually for me. Oh wow. And it's um it's the North Fork or North uh yeah, North Fork Composites. Yep. And it's an SJ 725. So so it's a real expensive or what used to be the Kissler mm-hmm. blank Um with a Shimano Metanium on it.
1: What's the length on that one?
2: Uh, this one's a seven foot two.
1: Seven, two. Okay. But
2: both these rods have like a real limber tip. Mm-hmm. So it really allows me to walk that bait. Right. And it has a lot, they both have a lot of backbone in them. So when you hook one way out, you know, you can drive it home. Drive it yeah. home. There's other baits, you know, like I've got the, the Vixen. <clears throat> I like the head and spook, but those, you know, those few baits, that's like, it's really all you probably need. You don't need to go crazy with a bunch of baits,
1: but. um, Do you see a a difference during low light or bright days when it comes to top water? Because I, I'm confused uh, when it comes to that, because, you know, we've, we've been told sunny days, like a white, you know, bone, darker days, black. I have a lot of success in clear water throwing, throwing a darker color all the time but then when I switch it up and throw like bone, I seem to get the same amount of bites. Like I I have a hard time determining or even if it makes a difference, what are your thoughts on, on color when it comes to top water?
2: Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I've, I keep my color selection, you know, simple Mm and, and, I mean, I'm out there all throwing around and there's some days, I guess, where the chrome one might outperform the, the bone, but okay. it's probably the one that's in my hand, like 70% of the time. I mean, I've caught them on chrome when it was cloudy. I've caught them when it was dead flat and yeah. bright yeah. sun.
1: That, that leads me to another question. Are you able to get a smallmouth to react in heavy wind, bigger waves with those top water baits? Or is that something that you prefer when it's a little bit calmer?
2: Uh, so I actually have like a full system on it. I'll throw the shower blow when it is calm. Like, don't get me wrong. It's, it's great when it's calm, but typically when it's a little windy, like even up to a white cap chop, Mm -hmm. I'll throw that shower blow. And then when it's dead slick calm, I'll pick up this little guy right here. That's the Lucky yep. Craft Sammy.
1: Sammy, yep.
2: This topwater is probably the best smallmouth topwater in my opinion out there cuz it catches them when it's dead slick calm, it catches them when it's like when they kind of don't want to bite a topwater, they'll still bite this little guy.
1: It looks this like bro- that one's caught a few fish.
2: Yeah, this I mean this one exactly I've had for a long time, probably mm-hmm. 5 or 6 years. I really only throw it when it's a tournament, I yeah. have other ones that I'll use in practice. Sure. But you don't really lose them either. Like, even though there's a lot of pike on this lake, I yeah. don't seem to lose a lot of top waters. This top water, the Sammy, straight mono. That's all. That's what I use. I've got it on a seven foot, it's a Kistler again. Yeah. Uh, crank, rip, and twitch, seven footer. My buddy that built the other rods, he actually cut this one down one inch on for me. Sure. So it makes it a little bit easier to walk it. So it's got more of like a six foot nine rod handle with a seven footer. Cause I like a little bit more length. And once again, just another reel, this is a quantum Torp, another reel that I can just bomb this bait out there. The Sammy just, I don't like the Sammy on braid. It just doesn't seem like it walks as well. You're overpowering it. I'm almost hmm. dragging it through the water. 10 pound mono is my deal. Like, wow. I won't throw 12. I won't throw fourteen. It walks the best on ten, in my opinion. Jeez, um, and then I gotta always... take notes here. <laughs> That's then,
1: interesting, man. Like,
2: and then all my top waters, I always put yep. feather on the back. Sure. Yeah.
1: Okay, so you just ju- just through experimentation and whatnot. You'll throw what size braid? Forty, right on the uh, on the yeah. shower blow. Yeah, and that seems to work the bait well. But when you get to the salmon, and that what size Sammy was that? That wasn't a one twenty eight, right?
2: No, was there's a like, hundred. I I believe it's a one hundred.
1: Hundred, yeah, two hooks.
2: Yes, two hooks.
1: Two hooks. Okay.
2: Yeah, and I'm always replacing the hooks too. Like I'll I'll run. I typically just use VMC, but mm-hmm. I'll put new hooks on almost almost every day. Like for a tournament, I'll put them on before the tournament. You know, typically if I'll fish a hook for like a week and then I'll put new hooks on, I've got a bunch of them and it's, if you want to keep them hooked up, you got to have sharp hooks.
1: Right. You're throwing that, that Sammy in, in your dead set. So you must've experimented. So if you go to 12 or 15, you, you don't feel like it's putting out the right, I guess, cadence or, or
2: yeah, working through the water. Like it, it, it walks as well. Wow. Okay. I just feel like it doesn't get as much action and I get more bites on 10 pounds. Wow. Like I'll just, I, you know, I'll throw out 14 with it. And I yeah. can just tell like you, you get in a rhythm, you know, with a certain, mm-hmm. bait. you, you can just think, ah, it's not right. Like almost right away. Like with one cast, you can cut
1: sure. it down. How's, how are you working that bait back to the boat? Is it pretty quick? Is it, do you stop it at all?
2: No, I'm typically constantly walking it. At mm-hmm. a quick, just back and forth, just like this, the water about that fast. Like, the shower blow, I'll work slower um, or those big walking baits, like, cause they have such a wide walk that you mm-hmm. can't just like overpower them or it's just going to the hook, your line's going to get wrapped around the hooks, so it's going to start doing weird stuff. Uh, but with the Sammy, I'm going pretty fast with it. And like I said, I'm typically only throwing it when it's dead slick. You can walk it fast because it's not going to, it's going to, you know, it's just going to ride whatever, however they, those things walk. It's just going to keep going back and forth. It's not going to get messed up by any, any waves or anything okay.
1: like that. So the Sammy, when it's calm, shower blow, maybe a spook when it's a little windier Yeah, for you.
2: And then the final, well, I actually got two more deals to my little system. Yep. When it's a little bit rougher, even when it's calm, mm. this is straight up a fluke style bait weightless. You can throw this when there's four footers, right? And I keep it just below the surface. I've got a big five out hook in it. That's what I like to throw, like a big EWG. Okay. It's for weight, and I just find like I catch the most with it. Like I don't, it's a good size hook for that bait. That's a caffeine shad. Caffeine shad, why I like that? I think it's got more salt in the plastic. Mm-hmm. So it's for some that tail just it quivers. Like when you really start twitching it, it goes, I don't know. They just bite it. Yeah. The deal. I feel like that's the best one. And 10 pound line. This is a uh, Seaguar Tatsu. Okay. And I've got a pretty long leader. So it's a 6.8 Megabass Arachi, or it's a Ronin, that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my favorite rod for this technique. Um, and I'm throwing it like a jerk, right? I'm snapping it real quick, and I let it glide. Sure. kind of sinks, and I'm snapping it again. A size 30 fluger spinning reel. I've got 10-pound uh, green. It's a dark braid, Power mm-hmm. Pro. And this is a long leader. So like I just split my bail and I'm still pulling out line. Which way I got to go this way, this way. Yeah, right. Right there. Yeah. So like I'm doing three, like I'll tie my, my knot, my, and I'm, I'm using an FG knot. I'll tie it and do like three or four handle rotations into my spool. So I want a big long leader mainly for stretch. So I'm cause I'm throwing braid. Right. So when they eat it right at the boat, I don't want to have – I want to have a little bit of give in it. So this could be like a 20-foot probably leader. Once again, when it's calm or when it's rough. But okay, we rotate between the Sammy, the shower blow, and that, and that flute.
1: And that's the same time of year post-spawn? You're going to bring that out as well?
2: Yeah, all, yeah. all four of them will be – on. Oh, the, the last one I'm going to talk about, those will be on my deck. Like when those suckers wow. are on my deck, man, I'm probably fixing to catch a huge bag of wow. those. Wow. <laughs> if those that are got me excited. on the deck. And then the final bait is just a spy bait. Hmm. So this is again um a mega bass. This is the shaky head rod, it's a seven-footer. I always throw just a dude realis. The 80 is my favorite. Six-pound tatsu, long leader again, like 20, even 30 feet. Okay. A six-pound tatsu to uh eight-pound power pro. And again, I use Fluger reels. That's just the, the reel that I like. This is a Supreme XT. It's my favorite spinning reel that they make. And uh, this bait, just when it's dead fly, you can even catch them when it's when it's rough on it, like cloudy or sunny. They bite the best, of course, when it's sunny. But mm-hmm. fish do what they want. You kind of can't get, like, closed-minded with them. you got to try all. So, like, I'll rotate all those baits around, like, in an hour or so, and I'll figure out what they're biting the best
1: man i learned i learned a little bit here tonight for sure i i i know the viewers appreciate this i mean those are techniques at any lake across the country when you have smallmouth that time of year postponed i don't care if you're new york or or minnesota i would certainly uh give that a try and it sounds like through your experimentations i mean you seem to have things dialed in when it comes to top water fishing any any poppers in the arsenal at all or do you not mess with those too much
2: I don't throw them very much. No, I'm trying to cover mm-hmm. water. Sure. Um, yeah. Very rarely are they sitting on one deal, at least on Champlain. That's okay. you're, more like you're trying to catch like fish that are roaming, wolf packing. I mean, you, you got to think they're the time of the year. It's hard to explain everything. You know, when you're not mm-hmm. actually doing it, but you're, these fish are, they're on an alewife spawn, basically. Like most of the time that I'm trying to catch these fish. So they're moving. Um, they're big groups. Like I'll hook one. There'll be six giants with it. Right. Like, oh "Oh, God, I'm I'm about to to bust them. But, Mm um, so I'm constantly moving, you know, trolling motors on five, probably just moving a mile an hour if it's, you know, or drifting with the wind and to cover up, find those active, big feeding ones. Um,
1: do you find if you locate a a pot of fish, like the day before or, or whatnot, is that where you're going to start? And then do you get nervous if you don't catch them right away or how do you know when to leave? Like, let's say you were like, are they, are they roaming that quick for you or do they typically stay in that same zone?
2: Uh, I'll have like a section, like a five mile section or so Hmm. that I feel like is good. And I'll run like five deals, you know, five, six, seven deals. And usually I'm going to run into them in there, but okay. I've hardly ever just been like, dude, I got them lined up on top and it's going to be like lights out. Hmm. It's always like the conditions line up and it just, I just roll into it. But if, if I do, like, if I find them say the night before, right before a tournament, if I'm just out there messing around and I start catching them, sure. I'll go there and they're, they're probably going to stay like in okay. the, around the area. Cause I'm, you know, I'm targeting, like, I'm not just randomly fishing. I'm targeting, basically post-spawn areas right some of these fish are even spawning probably but i'm fishing five six feet of water out to like 12 to 14 okay and i'm finding like grass edges uh especially where cabbage and milfoil mix if you can find that that's the deal but even just gravel Hmm. if i'll i spend a lot of time graphing and you can find that stuff in the spring you find your sand to rock transitions or even big boulders like big rock piles they'll they'll school up on that and uh, Mm -hmm. so you kind of know the general area but i don't just live on waypoints like i'll i'll roll 100 yards off from something and you know fish around and because they're like i said they are roaming but and that's what makes it so much fun because you kind of like don't know what's about to happen with that type of fishing you have a general idea but you really have no idea
1: Uncertainty, what um, yeah.
2: you're about to catch. Like you could catch 18 pounds, and you catch 22. Caught a lot of big bags doing that, and people think I'm catching them on beds. Like they're like, hmm. "Oh, he's got," you know, "He caught them on beds," and I'm just like, "Yeah," you know. Right. <laughs> but in reality, like I might have had a few fish on beds, and then I got on something like post spawn throughout the day, and mm-hmm. kind of almost lucked into him, I guess you could say, but.
1: How long do you feel confident that that topwater bite will go on throughout the summer? I mean, is there, is there always some type of topwater bite, or do you, at some point, really put those away?
2: No, it'll go on. I typically, once the fish get deep, I'm, I'm like a deep water guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, so once they get out deep good, like end of July, um, I'll start mixing in deep water stuff. But I always have to be like on the best pattern going. That's how you do well on this lake. You have to be like in front of the fish. So that's why I feel like that end of July period is where I kind of taper that that bite kind of tapers off. But it's still there. It's there till October, in my opinion. You can you can you can blast them. But hmm.
0: I'll
2: start leaning off from it. If, but if the conditions get right and it's dead flat, and say you know they're in the certain section of the lake is fishing really good, I'll be like All right, I'm rolling, and hmm. I'll just go off the seat of my pants
1: man yeah good stuff for i really appreciate it. i'd love to uh pick your brain a little bit more when it comes to smallmouth fishing but we're actually going to take a quick break right now we'll be right back
0: you're listening to the smallmouth crush podcast don't rush out to the water just yet we'll be right back after this break
1: well this portion of the smallmouth crush podcast slash YouTube video is brought to you by monster bass. What is monster bass? It's a monthly subscription where they send you the best baits for the region that you fish in. And then they actually teach you how to use them. They got a lot of great information on their YouTube channel. But if you head on over to MonsterBass.com, sign up, don't forget to check out their online tackle store. They have a great selection of tungsten weights, worm weights, flipping weights, Drop shot weights at some of the best prices you can find. So, if you're into tungsten weights, which I know everybody is, and you want to find some at a great discount, really good price, good value, monsterbass.com. Use the code SAVE10 to help you out. Save $10 off your first purchase at monsterbass.com.
0: We're back. To the Small Mouth Crush Podcast with your host Travis Manson.
1: Awesome information here, top water specialist. That's what I'm going to call you, man. You got some sneaky, sneaky trick. Can you give me some examples? I mean, in, in a tournament setting, where you've been able to put some of these uh, different baits and different approaches into action and and bring in a good bag.
2: Like but basically, what I've been talking about is like how it's a transition time of the year. You know, it's fishing off the seat of your pants. So I actually had a tournament a few years ago. I think it was three years ago now. I had a certain section of the lake I was fishing, and I was catching them on beds. So I had like 18 pounds on beds, and it's tail end of the spawn. I I think it was first day of June, like end of June, maybe July 1st. I had just, the like I said, the very end of my spawning fish left. Mm -hmm. And I pulled up to my first bed. And I had a co-angler. His name's Ethan McMahon. You're probably going to hear a lot about him. He just came in second in the Bass Open on the St. Lawrence as a co. He's a really good fisherman. He was like 15 years old, and he fires out a spy bait off the back of my boat. It's dead flat calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the air temp was 95 degrees that day, um, the day before the tournament. And then it was like 100 during the tournament. It got down to like 80 at night. Water temp went from 70 degrees all the way to 80 degrees in one day. Wow. And I'm like, oh my God. So anyway, I catch a, I catch my first bed fish and my co-angler, Ethan, fires out off with a spy bait, which is like probably the best bait you can throw that time of the year as a co-angler, right? Mm-hmm. He hooks up with, a, with an absolute giant, like first cast. And it's one of those ones where it, when it eats, it kind of like does like a shark deal and it starts jumping away from us, sure. away from the boat. And I'm like, God, he just hooked like a five behind me right? on a spy bait. And I'm just bed fishing. So I'm like, and he loses it. And I'm like, oh, man. And wow. So I kind of like, you know, I got me thinking a little bit. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I go over and I kept, I'm up to like maybe got 18 pounds on beds. And I'm trolling in between bed fish. Like they're, yeah. they're 100 yards away. He mm-hmm. hooks up with a spy bait on like a two-pounder. But it's way out there and I'm trolling fast. And so I'm like, all right, I'll just wait for you to get it in. So I pick up the, the Sammy on the front deck. Okay. I fired out there and catch a four and a quarter. And oh. I'm like, oh, like a bonus fish. That's my biggest <laughs> fish I got. Sure. So anyway, I run around again and I kind of thought, I'm like, man, we really we should go back to where I caught that four and a quarter on the Sammy. Me and him pull up to that deal. And we had the biggest school of smallmouth I've ever seen on Lake Champlain. Oh, wow. Like hundreds of four pounders on mm. one deal. Like just this. Almost nothing. I had like a few gravel like waypoints out there. And me and him, I ended up catching over tw- I had 21 pounds. I didn't even win the tournament. I got beat by Ty Conderoga. The tournament was out of poor Henry. So Ty oh. I was starting to fire up and somebody caught 20, like two or something and beat me. Right. But anyway, I catch like 21. He had 14 and a half with three fish. Three fish. Three fish women. It was his first tournament ever. And he's got like a five and two four and a half. Hmm. And I'm like, dude, it ain't going to be like this. <laughs> right, right. But we blistered them. And I think what the deal was, was there was a um, a mayfly hatch. I'm pretty sure like that was what I was fishing, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize it. And these smallmouth were coming up to the surface. And carp also, they were rolling on the surface. And that's what kind of like, I was like, man, what's going on out here? You know, and I started chasing like the carp and throwing at the carp. Wow. And I'd catch like four pound smallmouths. But anyway, we caught probably like 15 of them. And it only lasted from like 10 until like noon. And then they just were like shut off. Hmm. Uh, that school kind of stuck around uh, like days after. I still was like catching a few fish from that group. But honestly, that spot hasn't been any good since. And I think it's wow. just because I was running around and just hit like maybe, you know, where bait was feeding on mayflies or the, the, the smallmouth were and just absolutely wrecked them. But that was like, that was like probably one of my most fun days. Like I guess at hundred degrees is dead. Yeah. Today.
1: That's cool. Sure.
2: Well, no. I've, I've won a few like tournaments doing that. Um, this year, I actually won the, the Champlain event out of the ABA out of Thai. I, I won like doing this, these techniques. Hmm. So you um, made a long run. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people from Plattsburgh run, to tie you run the other way when you get the chance i love it
2: run down to tie now everybody runs away from tie
1: do they yeah yeah so what are some other uh you know favorite times of the year to target smallmouth so we talked about the post spawn uh if you could pick another technique or another way to catch them what would that be
2: uh so i mean i love catching them all year i'll catch them from you can pretty much catch them 365 on this lake even through the ice Hmm. Um, but another deal that's kind of like unique for me is I, I don't hunt. Uh, so I just keep fishing right? right. and I catch them all the way until the lake freezes. Hmm. So I can, I was going to go over a little bit on how I catch them, you know, through that late fall, which is pretty much winter when the water temp hits like 40 degrees. Okay. Uh, End of November, you know, mid, mid to end of November into basically January. That's like and a, a great time it's it's not like the most fun because right. it's freezing cold and they like a lot of you kind of like are fed up with it by then mm-hmm. but for you know when it's nice out when it's 30 degrees 35 degrees and it's sunny and calm uh you're I'm going. One of the only guys out there on the lake, right and well that's
1: a bonus right there's no competition <laughs> that time of year
2: uh so the winter fishing deal I'm always fishing pretty deep. You can catch them a little shallow. Like you can catch them in 10 to 15 is probably about the shallowest I fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure you can catch them in five feet of water, but I just kind of stick to the deeper stuff. My main deal is like 25 to 35. (laughs) I would say it starts out. I don't just go out in December and like find them. It's stuff. It's places where they're really starting to school up in November so I'll find them typically and kind of just stick with that same, you know, area of the lake. The fish hardly move that time of the year, uh, You, if, especially if you find them like mid-November, which, you know, I'm in northern New York, so this would be probably about the same for like, you know, Michigan, yeah. uh, Wisconsin. Maybe yeah. Wisconsin kind of a little bit behind. But you're going to find them, and you just got to stick with them. It'll be really tough if you went out in October and didn't fish again until December, you might have, without a lot of history, it would be kind of difficult. I'm going to go out, I'll fish, you know, certain deals like rock to sand transition out deep. It'll be stuff that I've already kind of known that fish, like I said, that fish are on or around. And then I'm just crafting around. I might craft for like six hours straight, for example, Mm. until I find a little group of them and then you can catch the, they're stacked in like cordwood usually when you find them and they'll take like a big area and they'll condense down into something like the size of your boat so like waypoints are really important especially even year to year like I have one waypoint I've had since probably like 2014 where I caught them out deep in the winter and them suckers live on that waypoint like mm-hmm. if your boat isn't spot locked on that thing if you're Twenty feet away or forty feet away, you don't even get bit, and it's wow. like the craziest deal. And then you get up and you idle over that dot, and there's ten of them sitting there. You drop down, and you can catch every single one of them, basically. And it's like, Jeez. where the hell? Where are these even coming from? Sometimes yeah. more than what you'll see on the graph, and you'll be like, man, I'm sitting right on top of. That
1: them. seems like discouraging. Like if you don't know what to look for, hours of idling. But I guess it's putting your time in that time of year. And then having that history to go back to every year, I would assume. Yeah,
2: yeah. Typically, they do they winter in the same areas almost mm-hmm. year to year. It's typically you're not going to have something that's like you know if you've got ten ten spots that you found over you know over a year two or three, typically eight of those ten are going to have fish on. Sure.
1: Them. Yeah. So what's I the technique what it, of uh, of choice that time of year?
2: So I'll stick with mainly three techniques. Uh, the first thing that might, like, if I'm going to catch them, hopefully I'm going to catch them on this sucker. Yeah. It is a blade. Mm-hmm. Um, this one specifically is the. Uh, the Best pro
1: shops. Stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll put different hooks on it. I'll upgrade the trebles because, but the snap, I keep the same. Uh, 15 pound fluoro and a seven foot rod. I like a seven foot medium heavy. Uh, This one's a Texas rig, Carolina rig, Kistler again. I'm a, I'm a fan of the Kistler bait cast. I'm a fan of the mega bass spinning rod.
1: What size blade bait is that? Half ounce, five eighth?
2: This is a half ounce. Half ounce. It's just the standard one I usually throw. Um, I find with the blade, they're either on it or they're not. Like you'll drop it down on them. You'll see them on the graph. You'll hop it around a little bit. If they, if they don't eat it and like, probably 15 or 20 seconds, like they're probably not even going to eat it. I'll bury my, Mm. my, uh, you know, my jig or my, my pole. I usually, I'm just fishing vertical on them. Okay. So I'll sit there and I'll hop it. I would say, I'll keep my rod tip close to the water and I'll pull it up maybe like waist high or or so. So what's that? Maybe like a three foot. I'll start Mm -hmm. with that. Sometimes they just want like a six inch little blimp. And then you'll know they'll like swim away from your bait if you're pulling. Okay. Them off. Like you can sure. kind of tell real quick what's going on with them. So yeah, the blade—that's probably my favorite way to catch them in the winter. And then my other bait was gonna be a Ned rig. So this is a Mega Bass a Whip Snake. It's a six eleven. It's the same rod I drop shot with. Uh, this is a light action rod. Once again, a size thirty reel. I use on all my bait or all my spinning rod techniques. I'm not reeling through the water. I'll use red or mm-hmm. the vermilion power pro. Anything through the water, I'm going to use the green. Uh, I just like the straight up the Z-Man TRD.
0: Yeah,
2: that's my Can't deal. Beat that. With a uh, a little Outcast Ned rig. Head. it's the uh what is it the perfect net i think mm-hmm. three 30 seconds is weight that i pretty much always always throw like 90 percent 95 percent of the time and
1: That's are a, you are you making cast or is that a vertical presentation on those fish
2: this one i'll be dra- i'll make cast so like typically 20 foot or shallower and i'll drag it <clears throat> um if i can't get them to uh if i can't get them to eat the drop shot. So on drop shot, I'll use same rod, whipbait. Okay. I use the one, a size one Gamagatsu, the uh, drop shot hook, mm-hmm. the drop shot split shot, and then a half ounce weight, a shorter leader, probably only a twelve inch leader. So if I'm vertical on them, I'm gonna throw a drop shot, and then if I am a little bit shallower and I'm just casting around, dragging through rock, I'll throw the Ned rig.
1: So I didn't see a bait on that drop shot rod. Can we talk about that, that time of year? Is it, does that vary summer versus winter months or can you, can you get them to bite uh, a typical drop shot bait or what's your <laughs> I- ideas on that?
2: Yeah, I'll get, so one, probably like, they really bite the white, like the best in the winter I find. Okay. Uh, but I'll use just the little minnow. It's uh, what is it? The Z2 strike okay. Kit. Yep. that's like my deal for the winter. It's a last So it floats. I can kind of dead stick the bait. Right. And it just mm. sits there. It kind of floats in front of them. That's probably my go-to on the drop shot that time of the year.
1: How are you working that? Like you said, cause it floats. I mean, are you kind of dead sticking that in front of them at times or are they reacting to it pretty quick when they're on it?
2: No, I'll do both. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll figure out like what their deal is. Sometimes I'm right off the bat, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be moving it. I'm going to be twitching it a little bit, just hopping Mm -hmm. it, making sure my weight's on the bottom. I'm not going to be like aggressively moving it. Sure. And if they're not Mm -hmm. biting it, I'll just sit there and hold it for 10 seconds and see if they bite it that way. And if they're not going to bite it that way, then you're kind of like out of luck. I mean, you could keep dead stick, but it's either going to be a dead stick or you're going to jig it. And typically you can sit there and work them for like five minutes. I find myself spot locked just sitting there on top of them, and all of a sudden, one will bite. And I'm doing a bunch of different stuff, either jigging or dead sticking.
1: So you're relying heavily on your graphs, right? Idling yeah. over these fish. What are you looking for uh, as far as areas that these fish might be holding? And then what are you looking for on your graph? Are you actually going to run over fish? Or are you looking at structure more than fish? Or what? how do you approach that?
2: Uh, I would say... I'm already gonna probably know where the structure is because I've got so much time on the lake, but I'm gonna be looking down scans my main deal. Luckily for the viewers, I got a few pictures. Oh sweet print out what I'm looking for. So you're gonna see I just this is like a cell phone photo, uh-huh here. You can see all the you can see some big boulders right here. Right. And this is like on a 20 to 30 foot deal here and you can see them just stacked up there real close to the bottom, but not right on the bottom. Sometimes they're right on the bottom. Sometimes they're up like a foot, but you can see those suckers real good. And that's me idling over the top of them. Okay. If I see something like that, I'm about to, to blister them.
1: Yeah. So right just there. slightly suspended.
2: That's my down skin. So I've got down actually a, another one here. You can see the fish. Man, it's hard to do this when it's reversed. Those are there's like four of them right there, right? Big ones. These are big boulders. So they're always sitting in the summertime. You might you're gonna see them on top of the rock, right?
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
2: That's usually where they're gonna sit. In the winter, they get down in those crevices like that, or on the where it turns just straight sand. That's where they like to sit. But you can see my 2D next to it. You can you can't even really tell if there's any fish there on the 2D. Yeah, but on down skin, they show up real well.
1: I see that. So, is that a Lawrence you're running at the console?
2: Uh, yes, that's a <clears throat> I run Lawrence and Hummingbird at the console, but my mm-hmm. sonar I'm typically just running. Uh, Lawrence, they both have their advantages, but Lawrence is like my primary deal. So,
1: So, some guys might have a problem with the straight 2D that time of year. I mean, if you're not used to seeing those fish. They really do pop on, on that down scan.
2: Yeah, correct. They, That's
1: almost night I mean, and day.
2: Like I said, I'll pull it back up again. You can't even almost tell if there's anything there. No. You can kind of tell, but it's there it's real.
1: Uh-huh. You can
2: really tell what's going on.
1: How fast are you typically going to idle over that?
2: Uh, four miles an hour. If okay. I know that I'm pulling up on something where they're supposed to be, I'll just get my foot right off the hot foot and i'll idle two or three miles an hour however fast it normally is okay yeah Um, but you can graph them as fast as like six miles an hour Mm -hmm. yeah or i mean you can go faster but they're not going to show up as good Hmm. but like i said i'm normally like i kind of know like whereabouts they're probably going to be um and then i've also got a few pictures of how they look how they look on the live scope that's them just sitting there on the bottom out i'm not sure how far out that is that's 60 feet out
1: 60 feet or yep. so
2: from my boat is right here right We're Looking, you can see how they're tightly you know sitting there together right close to the bottom not too far suspended up they're not gonna move like you know how in the summertime when you get near them they're actually gonna swim to you they typically don't leave their where they're sitting like they'll just kind of you know, when you start pulling them, they're not going to come to the boat and you're not yeah. going to, you can kind of get confused. Like you can see walleye and smallmouth, and you're like, ah, I don't know. Like if what's what I've found that, especially since I started using live scope that you can chase walleye <clears throat> and they keep swimming. Like they don't like, you know, they don't like the boat okay, or they don't like the pinging, but typically I get like 30 feet away from them and They keep swimming away. That's hmm. like a telltale that they're, that they're going to be walleye.
1: Do they ever hang out in the same areas that the smallmouth do during the winter time?
2: Yeah, I do find, do you? I do yeah. find them together. Um, <clears throat> I've got a picture of how the walleye are going to stack up. Like if oh. I'm idling and I idle over walleye, see how much farther up off the bottom they are. Okay. Yeah. That's on top of like a boulder. Yep. Um, I, if I threw a waypoint on that and then went back to it, they'd probably be already gone. Like they'd swim hundred feet away. It seems like walleye are constantly swimming. So, and you can almost tell, like they're on that down scan picture. Yeah. How they're how they're shaped. That dumber are walleye. <clears throat> and then the same way, I've got a picture of some walleye on live scope.
0: You okay. can see how
2: yep. how they're kind of stacked a little different than bass would be. They're a little bit higher up off the bottom. A few of them, and once again, I'll try to chase. Like I'll oh, chase them that. a little bit, and they'll just Damn. swim away from the boat. Right. Uh, but I'll, every once in a while, you'll catch them. Like mm-hmm. they're hard to catch, but there's a lot of them out there, and especially Champlain. Growing up, man, I used to think there was like no walleye in this lake. Right. I'd catch like one a year, and now I'm seeing them like crazy on yeah. live goat and I've mm-hmm. just learned that they they hate the boat.
1: What's the latest you fished uh in a bass boat on Champlain? Have you been uh, out there in January? Yeah. Oh wow. This
2: past year, I think I went like January 5th. That might have that might have been the latest, but it's hard to do it because it's uh the wind, like when it's mm-hmm. rough and it's and it's yeah. cold, like under under 20 degrees <laughs> is like not the greatest because your stuff's freezing up. Right. So if you get days that are like, you know, in the 30s, and it's in January and the ramps aren't like frozen Mm -hmm. and I feel like going then
1: you can make it happen
2: yeah so I mean I've heard guys like out there until the end of January some years like they get a day or two when they go Mm -hmm. but for me typically it's around like new years is like probably the latest and then honestly you can go back out in like March and catch them on the same stuff
1: okay sure
2: the same stuff. They're going to, they live there all winter. Like I'll catch them there in November and I'll catch them there in April and I'll go out there in April and you'll watch them leave. Like they, you'll go there one day, there's 30 of them on the graph. And then the Mm -hmm. next day there's 20. And then you go back three days later and there's like 10. And then you go back the next weekend and there's like one. And it's right. like, they just start flocking to the, either the rivers or the bank, they're just, they start yeah. pulling up and if the water temp doesn't change, it's still like 35 degrees or whatever. Oh, is. wow. Okay. And it's just, it's gotta be the sunlight. I'm thinking, Yeah, just know that it's time to start vacating. So like, you'll get a good two or three weeks after ice out where you can catch them doing the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um. And then it just disappears, and it doesn't come back until the fish start going out deep again, like after the spawn.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Wow, good stuff. I know we're we're running out of time. A lot of great information you got me excited. This is like the time of year right now when we should start uh, getting into that mode. You know,
2: I know yeah, you're a you're like a guy like me where the bla- you like the blade. I know that.
1: And- I do, I do. <laughs> it's it's such a fun bite, and I love hearing everyone's perspective on on how they fish it. For me, I'm I'm really you know that bass pro shop blade baits legit you know i, I love it yeah I've, I've experimented a little bit with some of the japanese ones they're a little bit more expensive are you getting hung up a lot in the areas that you fish those or can you get your baits back pretty good
2: yeah i rarely get nice. snagged, and if i do like i'm gonna probably get it back mm-hmm. like i i don't even think i've like ever Oh wow. I probably broke off like five of them, honestly. My like whole life. I, have a, I have a bat or a box of them that has like 30. Right. I I don't think I've ever I bought them like eight years ago or something and I've I still never have tried them. To Rebuy them.
1: Like I don't yeah. lose them, but right. you
2: can kind of control the bait. You know, you hold it, either you let it go right to the bottom, and it's typically they set up in the sand kind of mm-hmm. right on the edge of the rock. So you're not gonna be like right in the cracks of the rock. Every once in a while I get snagged. But you're typically on like a little bit softer bottom, not silt, right like hard, but it's it's probably sand, I would imagine. I don't mm-hmm. I haven't like figured out exactly what it looks like down there. I could I should go scuba dive down yeah, there. Yeah, right. Exactly, but I actually just I mean I just got an Aqua View. I used I never even had one, and I just yeah. got one like this year. So mm-hmm. I can go out there and kind of mess around. I don't know why I've never bought one before. I guess it's just kind of
0: well,
1: it'll be interesting. Yeah. If you if you take that out this winter, I think, man, that'd be pretty cool to see what you're fishing and yeah. what those and fish are related to. I
2: fish that stuff. We've brought the camera, like a Markham or something like and, uh And you can look down and see them. And it's typically just like a little bit of hard bottom. Like you'll see a little bit of zebra mussels down there, a little bit of gravel. Every once in a while, you'll see like a big boulder, like maybe a two or three footer. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're kind of just like roaming around on that stuff and whatever it is, I don't know if it's the most fertile part of the bottom of the lake in that, but they just find a spot that they like in on a rock pile or within a, you know, a hundred foot or 200 foot stretch and they just live there Mm -hmm. and keep coming back and keep coming back.
1: makes me want to get excited to get some uh, blade baits out and uh, head to town here. But before I let you go, I know we're running out of time. I got to ask, I ask every guest on here. First off, What's your biggest smallmouth you've ever caught?
2: Uh, so I can give you my biggest on Champlain is six even.
1: Six even, okay. And
2: this year in uh, I think August sixth or something like that, I caught my biggest one ever on Lake. It was on Lake Ontario. Uh, it was a six pound or 6.72. six point seven two. Six seven two. I got a picture of it.
1: Let's see that. Oh wow!
2: The white, the whiter one. Which, here we go. White one is the the one that's 672, and the other one with it is a six.
1: So I caught them off
2: the same spot, back-to-back drops. Wow. And that was on Lake Ontario.
1: Drop shotting?
2: Yeah, that was on a drop shot. uh, I think 35 feet of water. I idled over them. I saw three of them on the graph and spun around and, you know, shut my engine off, dropped down. Yeah. And, uh. Yep, caught that. Fir- the first one was a six seventy two, and then I'm like, gosh, you know how on Ontario they're usually the True. same size or so, mm-hmm. like together. So I there was like three or four, I think, down there, Dang, yeah. and I caught one more, then I dropped back down and caught a six, and I just put them both in the live one. and had somebody. Uh, I found a boat out there and said, "Yo, know, can you take a picture for me?"
1: <laughs> right? Why not,
0: man? So personal a cool best
2: experience to have two, but I've had a few over six. On Ontario, I think I've I've only had like four or five over six, and I've had like thirty of them between five sixty and like five eighty. Like, there's mm. a lot of those heavy fives on Ontario. It's harder sure. to catch the to catch a true six plus. It's it's much more it difficult is. than
1: what people think. I think. And you caught one on Champlain, then. Yeah, I a caught six. a six. That's a six so, and that's huge for Champlain. I I assume like what would be. Isn't it hard to catch a five plus pounder on Champlain? I mean, that's a, in my experience, it's I think it's almost rare, isn't it? Or maybe it's getting better now.
2: Yeah, I caught the six two years ago. Um, but other than that, I've only caught like I think before that, my personal was best was probably like a 540 on Champlain. Mm-hmm. So I've only caught like one fish over five and a half on Champlain or small mouth, large mouth. You can catch sixes, uh, usually a few a year, even a seven.
1: Okay. Um, yeah.
2: But small mouth, typically a four and a half or better is like a real big one. Yeah. You know, a, t- a 22 pound bag is like huge mm-hmm. So that those four and a quarters and four and a half. So those are like the deal fives are even five, five and a quarters are really hard to catch.
1: Yeah. Well, my next question would be, if I could give you one bait for smallmouth for the whole season, what would that bait be?
2: Uh, it's going to be a drop shot.
1: Okay. That's a technique. And What's the bait?
2: I'll do a flatworm.
1: Flatworm. worm.
2: Yeah. I don't know how many guys, I don't know, flatworm's like my deal. Is it? Yeah. I guess, and green pumpkin would be the color. Green pumpkin. But yeah, that would probably, if I'm going to pick one bait, yeah. I can throw, because I can throw that up shallow. Mm-hmm. I can throw it out in 40 feet of water. And it's like the best bait for summertime. You know, most of our tournaments are going to be, you know, end of, or beginning of June until October for smallmouth. So you're not fishing too much shallow stuff. I would have uh, covered. Mainly, you covered know, you're gonna be mainly fishing deeper stuff and mm-hmm. up shallow, I can still throw a drop shot around.
1: No, that's a good call, man. That's a that's totally uh that's something that you you would expect. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with the flatworm, especially one of my favorite techniques, drop shotting. That's something we didn't even cover. We we definitely ran out of time. I know you talked about Fishing deep and, and using your, your graphs and, and drop shotting. Awesome information, Greg. I gotta ask you another, you know, a lot of these anglers that are on here, you know, the top smallmouth anglers out there, there's there's always something that separates them from, from other anglers. And whether it be their passion or their ability to find fish or they're just consumed by smallmouth, what do you think makes you uh, different when it comes to smallmouth fishing?
2: I think with me it's probably the same as like with a lot of the guys like that you've had on here and just the guys that do really well, the the guys that fish professionally, it's just time on the water, uh, understanding like what I'm doing on the water. I'm not just out there messing around. Usually, Mm -hmm. um, I'm always paying attention to details, um, you know, conditions, uh, equipment, like our, our boats, most of the guys I'm sure that you've had on here, all their boats are rigged probably pretty similar. We all know how to run big water. We know how to fish in big water. Um, We understand how fish act in big water because in tournaments, it's not always beautiful. Um, There's just a lot of like in passion. I'm sure the guys that are on here, they've got a lot of passion for bass fishing tournament fishing. Like you've, you've got to be on your toes all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't just go out there and just expect to catch them. You've got to, be making the right adjustments, and that's what these guys and why they're so good is they make those adjustments and they catch bigger than average fish because of it, and they're at the top of the leaderboard. So, for me, I mean, electronics are a really big deal to me. I grew up without electronics for a mm-hmm. while. Um, I would say the first 10 years of my life, I didn't own you know, I didn't fish with like any good graphs, and then my first graph was a, a Lorance HDS 10 in 2014. And I just like, after that, man, I figured out like the whole graphing deal, mm-hmm. um, how to use my electronics and now electronics, especially the last like three years, it's been insane. And it helped you break down like new bodies of water so quick. Um, so for me it's electronics details, um, and quality time on the water. And then also like I grew up and I had a lot of, um, support from my family you know my my cousin ryan Mm -hmm. of course i talked about earlier and then my parents um they didn't help me with like financially like being able to you know purchase uh, they got you know got me some rods starting out and stuff but they got me a boat in 2006 a little aluminum boat Mm -hmm. uh, with a 20 horse motor i fished out of that boat until 2016 so for 10 years of my life, I lived on Lake Champlain with a 16 foot boat, an aluminum boat, right. And I didn't have electronics and have much as a fishing. And then I started investing when I started, you know, working and buying better equipment, better electronics, mm-hmm. and uh, figuring that out. So my parents were a big, you know, a big support system for me. Um, always, you know, making sure we were on the water, driving us to the. To the saranac river dropping us off at the at the ramp like letting us go out fish because we didn't have our license sure you no know? so they just dump us off and then pick us up yeah. at the end of the day and uh my my mom and dad still come to like most of the weigh-ins on champlain they uh they love it they yeah, come, very come cool. support me they my mom puts up stuff on facebook almost every event you know mm-hmm. like she she's uh she's my number one fan that's for sure so that that was very super important. cool growing up
1: again thank you so much for coming on a lot of great information you're always welcome back i'd love to have you on a a future live show at some point and definitely want to talk to you a little bit more about some of that deep water graphing that you do and and uh and a little bit of drop shot in the future so
2: hey thanks for having me
1: awesome and as always guys until next time we'll see you on the water
0: Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Small Mouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Small Mouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.